a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Chinese Foreign Minister Qin Gang has just wrapped up his first official overseas visit of the year to five African countries, Ethiopia, Gabon, Angola, Benin, and Egypt. A fine tradition of Chinese diplomacy, 2023 is the 33rd consecutive year where Chinese foreign ministers have made Africa the first foreign destination of the new year. Chinese Foreign Minister Qin Gang presided over the completion ceremony of the first phase of the China-built Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Headquarters. Over the years, China has provided financial support and know-how to contribute to the health and well-being of the African people. And across much of Africa, China built thousands of kilometers of roads and railways, as well as ports and power stations. China has been Africa's largest trading partner for over a decade. But perhaps the most important aspect of the relationship is that together, they have boosted the voice of developing countries and made the global governance system more just and equitable. Africa is a rising continent, a land of hope. It is full of vigor and dynamism. The stability of prosperity of the world is impossible without the peace and development of Africa. What Africa needs is solidarity and cooperation, not block confrontation. No country, no people have the right to force the African countries and peoples to take sides. Africa should be a big stage for international cooperation, not an arena for major country competition. At this hour, we're joined by Aristus Mwancha, former deputy chairperson of the African Union Commission, joining us from Nairobi, Kenya. Um, Mr. Chairman, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for coming on our show on the Hub and CGTN. First of all, I want to ask you about the Chinese foreign minister's trip to Africa and the significance of it. If you look at the five countries Qinggang visited, uh, they're very different places. They speak different languages, they have different economies and different cultures. Uh, even the two institutions have visited, the AU in Ethiopia and the Arab League uh, in Egypt, are, are all different. How do you look at this arrangement? Thank you for having me. The Chinese foreign minister's visit to Africa is coming at a very uh, critical time because it is coming at a time when the global economy has gone through a lot of stress following the pandemic, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, but also because of the disruptions in the global supply chain uh, following the Russia and the Ukraine war, but also because of geo-global uh, rivalry, which we saw particularly informed by technological wars that also affected the global supply. And of course, the ever-abiding challenge of uh, climate change. And so the foreign minister's visit is important because it has kept the tradition of foreign ministers visiting Africa in the beginning of the year. And this has been uh, kept for the last 32 years. How do you years. feel about this tradition course, going back, like you said, all the way for over three decades? It is instructive in many ways because it started way back in 19... 90, when actually that was at the end of the Cold War. And to many people, that would have been a start of Africa being left 
uh, without any contestation. As you remember that Africa was also a battlefield uh, during the Cold War. But at the end of it, China stepped forward to show that Africa was not going to be orphaned and that that tradition has been kept. But you also ask the question, the significance of the countries that have been selected during this visit. Uh, of course, looking at the Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, this is also the headquarters of the AU, in addition to the fact that Ethiopia has a very strong relationship with China. And of course, there is much that one can say about that relationship. Equally important is the relationship between Egypt and China, which goes way back up to 1956, when Egypt and China established diplomatic relationship. But also Egypt is the headquarters of the Arab League. And of course, it's interesting to see the other countries that have been selected, that of, of course, Gabon, which has also very strong links with China, going back to 1970s, and of course, which supported China during that big debate of 1971 of uh, when the People's Republic of China uh, became the legitimate occupant of the seat of China in the UN. And of course, uh, Angola, which has got very strong trade links with China, and of course, Benin. Of course, Benin represents West Africa. And uh, so this visit to me touches almost all the five regions of the continent and also speaks to the regional organizations that sit in Africa and, of course, the Arab League. You're talking about um, Ethiopia, which is, was the first leg of Chingang's trip. Uh, there was a civil war going on for, for years. Uh, actually, last year, China proposed an outlook on peace and development in the Horn of Africa to facilitate peace in northern Ethiopia's uh, Tigray region, which suffered a civil war of two years, like we said. But let's not forget, uh, it's a truce, not a peace deal. And there's a big difference between the two. How do you look at China's role in Ethiopia's peace process? Well, this is not the first time that China is uh, entering the fray of supporting peace process uh, in the Horn of Africa or Africa in general. Uh, China supported the peace process in uh, Somalia, in Sudan, and of course, talking specifically about the Tigray situation, it is instructive to see that this China has already appointed a very senior diplomat to be a representative of China in the Horn, specifically dealing with peace issue. But of course, the Horn is a very significant location also because it's the eastmost part of Africa. It is strategic because if you look at where uh, Ethiopia sits or, uh, you know, the Horn in general, this is a, a center for trade where international trade flows east-west, not south. And so it is strategic. But I, I think the other important aspect is that China has always supported peace process in Africa within the context of Africa's union's efforts. Uh, it doesn't come in to establish a parallel process, but supports ongoing processes. In Ethiopia, the Chinese foreign minister also tackled the issue of so-called debt trap narrative. 
uh, Chin Gang basically during a press conference said the so-called debt trap is a, a you know a media hype. It's a, a Western discourse trap imposed on China. Um, do you agree? Does Chin Gang, the Chinese foreign minister, have a point? Well, the debt trap is a myth. Uh, studies that have been conducted by even American university or institutions themselves have come to the conclusion that it's a myth. And the statistics speak for themselves. Africa's debt stock at the moment is about 600 billion uh, US dollars or thereabout. And of that, China only holds about 20%. And in fact, if you look at even the debt that uh, is attributed to China, China is already writing off quite a bit of those debts. And so it remains as a myth. And I think this is one aspect that uh, we see Africa being sucked into uh, what one would call a new geopolitical warfare, which is also more or less like a Cold War, uh, where uh, some countries see that Africa perhaps is uh, leaning towards one aspect of global development as opposed to the other. But Africa has always remained uh, neutral. Uh, Africa has always remained non-aligned. And so the debt trap is part of that, what I say, new Cold War. I mean, there's an old African proverb, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Chairman, that is, uh, when the two elephants fight, it is the grass that will suffer. Right. And in fact, if you look at what Africa is advocating for, Africa is not advocating to lean to China or to lean to Europe or to lean to America. If you look at Africa's needs, Africa is in need of transformation. Africa desires to create employment for the youthful population of the continent. Africa is desirous uh, to produce food. Africa desires to acquire technology. Africa requires to advance in the area of ICT. And Africa is open for investment to all these countries. Africa has never closed the door to any country. And so that's why we stress time and again that indeed, this is just a myth, and in fact, if you look at, as I said earlier, the death stock is owned by those same countries who say uh, China is uh, putting Africa into debt. Yeah, yeah. Talking about development, infrastructure is considered key. Uh, do you see synergy between China's Belt and Road Initiative and China's uh, newly proposed Global Development and Global Security Initiatives? and the African Union's Development Plan Agenda 2063. Um, and and uh, how do you expect those synergies to translate into tangible benefits for everyday people in Africa? Talking from the African perspective, Agenda 2063 expresses Africa's aspirations and in fact indicates the pathway for Africa's development, for Africa to be able to uh, sit at the table of global uh, developed nations and uh, the, the agenda draws out very clearly priorities for Africa's development and if you look at the priorities under Agenda 2063 they are very much enshrined in the GDI and also in uh, the PRI, the Belt and Road Initiative. In fact if you go through the Belt and Road Initiative the priorities indicated there whether it is 
human resource development, transformation, addressing issues of technology, and uh, trade and the rest, these are all enshrined in the agenda. And then in fact, if you look at the process of how these programs uh, are uh, lifted in all these major initiatives, there is a forum which has been standing for a long time, for since 2000, the FOCAC, the Forum for Cooperation between Africa and China. This is all discussed. Africa presents its agendas, and these are the agendas that are uh, enshrined, as I said earlier on, in the Belt and Road Initiative and the Global Development Initiative. In 2018, President Xi Jinping of China said China would help build the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, the center is now constructed and equipped. Uh, the Chinese Foreign Minister visited it. Uh, how do you see the China-Africa solidarity during the pandemic? And though the pandemic seems to be ending, uh, I assume there are still other challenges health-wise, public health-wise, such as malaria and Ebola. At the end of it, when you mentioned Ebola, when Ebola struck around 2014, Africa was left really scampering on its own because a lot of supply and communication chains were disrupted because many international movements avoided or did not consider Africa as a destination during that period. But who came to Africa's rescue during that time? A number of countries which came, of course, China did, Europe did come in a, a way, and also U.S. But China went beyond that and even sent human resources, which was very scarce during that time, that settled in Africa and helped Africa fight Ebola. Now, step coming forward, uh, fast forward to uh, now the pandemic, uh, China has been very close to Africa in supporting not only the supply of the vaccines, but also in the treatment of how Africa would be able to manage by providing facilitations, particularly the protocols that enabled the health workers to continue to support those infected during this period. But China went beyond that and has supported the establishment of the Center for Disease Control. I must say here again, this is where we saw cooperation in a way between China and the U.S. in Africa because U.S. did support the center through human resource in a way, but China went ahead and they supported Africa in establishing the actual center, which are, again the foreign minister inaugurated during his visit. And in, indeed, the question that you raised, health has now become a major uh, area of cooperation, a major area of concern, and China has indicated through its establishment of the center to support Africa, to have the capacity to be able to respond to and manage pandemics such as the COVID-19. So Chairman Mwancha, Africa is as diverse as it is expensive. I mean, there's an Anglophone part of it, there's a Francophone of it, and it also contains parts of the Arab world, the Muslim world. Uh, Egypt, for example, as you mentioned in the beginning, was the first African country to establish diplomatic relations with China, going all the way back to 1956. Um, how do you see China and the Arab world boost their ties going forward? I guess that is the significance of uh, Foreign Minister Jenin's visit to Cairo, because if you look at the Belt and Road Initiative, many of the countries that 
are also in the Belt and Road Initiatives, are in uh, the Middle East, and Egypt is central to this. Uh, Egypt, of course, not only being the headquarters, but of course, Egypt has always been the vanguard of that relationship. For the Arab world, it's not only being part of Africa, because if you look at the number of countries in Africa who are also part of the Arab League, they are part of the African Union. And that's why it's important when you see the foreign minister's visit to Cairo, because you're killing two birds with uh -huh. one stone, as it were. Of course, sitting in Cairo, talking to the Arab, Africa, the Arab League, but also at the same time visiting Africa. And also another choice of the Chinese foreign minister's trip is Gabon. In the, in the past, France regarded Gabon as its backyard, sort of. And last year, Gabon joined the Commonwealth, regarded as the British sphere of influence. How do you see the Chinese-Gabonese relationship strengthening under the changing circumstances? If you look back to the relationship between China and Gabon, it goes back to 1974, when diplomatic relationships were established. But beyond that, Gabon has always been a very strong supporter of uh, multilateralism. Uh, Gabon is a major, major uh, exporter of uh, major raw materials that the world needs. But also Gabon sits at a very strategic location that can address uh, the global challenge of global warming, uh, you know, that is a concern. Gabon has been actually Africa's spokesperson, particularly under uh, COP26 and COP27. So this is also strengthening that relationship to tackle the climate change, but also the bi strong bilateral relationship that exists between China and Gabon. Chairman uh, Moancha, uh, two other stops uh, Foreign Minister Ching Gang picked was Benin and Angola. Um, some analysts say that China is trying to court West Africa into joining the Belt and Road Initiative. How do you assess the visit to these two countries? Well, talking about courting countries to join the Belt and Road Initiative, there are over 40, 140 countries that have joined the Belt and Road Initiative. And so I don't think this visit is about recruiting membership. And there are over 30 international institutions who are also part of the Belt and Road Initiative. To me, I see it as really talking to West Africa, because Benin is not only a very strong uh, member of ECOWAS, and that is also uh, being able to address the 16 countries that are a member of economic community of West African states, but also Benin has a very strategic location, but also Benin has very strong links with China. And of course, uh, Benin uh, is also a major trading partner with China. Uh, talking about uh, geopolitics, last December, U.S. President Joe Biden said the United States is all in on Africa's future and promised American investment of up to $55 billion in Africa over the next three years. Uh, there's also renewed uh, European Union interest as well. French President Emmanuel Macron had promised a new Africa strategy during his uh, presidential campaign in Germany. Uh, there are reports of a new Africa strategy. How do you think Africa can balance its relations between China and the West? I think it's a welcome move. As I said earlier on, Africa has never closed doors to cooperation to any country in the world. 
but what Africa is aware of is a paternalistic attitude that uh, some states coming to Africa to say, uh, don't associate yourself with X and Y, that I think should be left to Africa to uh, choose and develop relationship with whomever it wants. And Africa has always stood for non-alignment uh, since uh, you know the advent of independence. And so cooperation with the European Union has to be there and for historical reasons but also practical reasons. Equally important is the relationship with the US. Uh, but as I said earlier on, Africa has always said, uh, let us uh, have an international forum. Let us develop multilateralism. There are global challenges which require global solutions. And working together, we can address issues of global peace, uh, climate change, but also development. And solidarity with Africa, with any country, is welcome. But as I said, Africa is always wary of being asked who should co it should cooperate with. Yeah, Mr. Chairman, there has been this narrative where a rising China, where China's rising influence are perceived as a threat to Western interests, even to their national security. Uh, does Africa look at that way? Do you look at that way? Africa doesn't share that. Africa believes that uh, uh, monolithic development is a thing of the past. We are now in a state of uh, multipolar and, and I think this is the new future that we should embrace that accepting that uh, development will always take place and the countries will rise and fall and here is uh, now China uh, coming up uh, and of course Africa would continue to uh, work with uh, all the partners that they are always uh, developed relationship. Mr. Mwancha, you are associated with several successful economic negotiations um, going way back, um, and as, as well as recently, as Secretary General of the Common Market for Eastern and Southern Africa, or COMENSA. You led COMENSA into achieving a free trade area in 2000. Given the importance of free trade agreements and free trade areas, uh, why have not we seen more China-Africa free trade agreements? I mean, the only one China has with an African nation is, uh, if I'm correct, Mauritius, signed in 2019. Thank you for that comment, and uh, I'm happy also to have been very much associated with the initiation of the continental free trade area for Africa. But here is the point. I think it's a sequencing. Africa is yet to solidify its own internal market to develop the continental free trade area for Africa. As it is, it's still nascent. It hasn't even started to, to be fully operational. All the building blocks are in place, but at the moment, less than 10 countries are really taking advantage of that, and even those are only partially trading. And so, if we go back to what I said in terms of sequencing, I don't think Africa should start jumping, creating free trade areas with China, with US, with Europe, before it puts this house in order. And so I, I, I remain wary when I see a number of countries coming to Africa to say they want to establish a free trade area. That is okay. But I think the, the first uh, priority should be to support the continent of free trade area, take root. Africa to, to have the capacity to be able to supply 
But in the meantime, there are a number of frameworks that we can use to cooperate. We have the WTO framework. China has already uh, extended a lot of trade privileges to Africa for LDCs to access duty-free, quarter-free. And uh, you can see that it's already uh, developing in a big way. In fact, if you look at trade between China and Africa, it's growing leaps and bounds. It's already over 260 billion from what it was to uh, the year 2000 of about 10 billion. It's indicating that the, the, the avenues that have been established are uh, working. And so I would not rush into agreements of establishing a, a free trade area between China and Africa because that's very complicated. And that's why, as I said, we remain really skeptical for all those movements that want to establish free trade area with, with Africa before Africa solidifies its own trade arrangement. Talking about tourism, Mr. Chairman, um, as China is moving beyond COVID, many Chinese travelers are itching for their first overseas trip, uh, what would be their first overseas trip in years. Um, some of them are considering Africa. As a former chairperson of the African Union, perhaps you can tell them a bit about why Africa uh, and where. Tourism is now a new avenue for cooperation. It brings people together. It also removes barriers for people to understand and know each other, but also to learn about other cultures. Africa is a rich continent of diversity, as you mentioned. If you start the north to the south, there is so much to see. But of course, for me, sitting in Nairobi, I can tell you that when I meet Chinese, they always look forward to visiting Africa, to go to the game drive, to see the diversity of Kenya, uh, which has also, in a cosmic way, embraces that diversity. You can have snow on Mount Kenya, to the burning sands of Mombasa, to the game drive, which of course is very rare to find that combination in one country. Great. Mr. Aristus Mwancha, former chairman of the African Union, thank you so much for joining us at this hour and thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having me again. That's it for this edition of The Hub. Thank you for tuning in. Our news coverage continues on CGTN. Bye and take care. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world.